This is episode 85 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Joelle Dunlap, founder and executive director of Square Peg Foundation. Joelle can't remember a time when she wasn't obsessed with horses. Born into a non-horsey family that moved every few years, Joelle sought out unconventional ways to bring horses into her life as a child. Her mother's family were jockeys, some excellent, some mediocre, some just stubborn. By the time she was in her early 20s, she was galloping racehorses, starting young horses, and working at breeding farms and thoroughbred sales. She's dabbled in jumping, eventing, dressage, polo, fox hunting, and reining. In 2004, she and her husband Darius started Square Peg Foundation to put marginalized people together with horses that also needed a second chance. They served homeless families, girls that had been trafficked, survivors of domestic abuse, but it was autism families that kept finding Square Peg, and it was off-track thoroughbreds that needed homes. In 2008, Square Peg connected with the work of the Horse Boy Foundation to learn how best to serve autism families. Joelle is currently pursuing a master's degree in interdisciplinary autism support from Elizabethtown University. She's taught people in North America, in Europe, and in Asia how to use horses to serve the autism families in their community. Square Peg leans into autism families that have nowhere else to go, specifically people with behaviors that preclude them from other recreational activities, as well as young adults that need support in getting and keeping a job, as well as building a network of friends that is supportive and healthy. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Joelle Dunlap. Welcome to the show, Joelle. I cannot wait to share with my listeners all of the amazing things that you're up to, including your brand new book. Thanks, Carly. It's great to be here. Absolutely. And this is going to be a very informative informative episode because you're doing really great work in the horse community for horses and humans. Uh, but first, I always like to start the conversations off with asking, Joelle, how have horses touched your life? You know, horses are my life and I guess kind of always have been. I, I think like so many of your guests, I think we all start out saying the same thing that we were book geeks and horse geeks. But yeah, horses are morning, noon and night around here and, uh, and it's, it's a great life. So I'm grateful. And as I was galloping around doing a little research for your interview, you have galloped racehorses. You, you, mm-hmm. started, you started doing some of that work. Can you talk about, and you've tried a variety of different disciplines in your riding life. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to gallop a racehorse and some of the other uh, disciplines you participate in? Yeah, something I've noticed that I was just showing someone the other day when helmet cameras came out and you would see, you know, these helmet cams of of people galloping racehorses, every exercise rider was like, that's not what I see. I don't know where they've put the camera lately, but the the ones coming from the Kentucky Derby right now of the morning workouts of these horses, they've moved where the camera is 
and that's what it looks like and that's what you see so if you get the chance it's it really takes you along for the ride and, and it's so impressive you know what what the technology's done but it's uh you know when you're right every every horse book is is a little girl riding across an open field where there's nothing in front of you and there's nothing in your way and that's of course that's a metaphor for so much and you're just you're just on this horse and and you're you're bigger stronger faster more beautiful that's what horses are it's that way and then some on a racehorse not all of them um, but you know, when you watch a cow dog that loves what he's doing or a sheep dog, a racehorse that loves what he's doing, um, he's been bred for generations and generations to do, to, to love just really getting down the track and flying around the track. And it's, it's, it, it, it really is a thrill. It's really special. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I imagine your heart probably pumps a hundred miles an hour going that fast and the wind in your face and just the full yeah. experience. You know, I've never, you know, fields, right? Like I've never full blown gone across the field because I think about holes. I mean, you have a wide open track where you don't have to worry about the horse, you know, stepping in something. So, I mean, that is incredible. And it was part of, was it part of your family to be around racehorses? Is that right? Yeah. Um, my mother's family. So four of her uncles were all jockeys, which meant that she hated the track, was terrified of the track and didn't want me anywhere near it. Mm. And you see how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you first start um, uh, breezing uh, racehorses, thoroughbreds, um, you usually start by going three eighths of a mile, which is just kind of the, the top of the turn to the to the finish line on a mile track. And then when you get strong enough, you start to breeze a half mile and five eighths and three quarters of a mile. And the first time I breezed um, half a mile, I was so excited and this horse was so fast. I forgot to breathe. <laughs> and then when I got to the finish line, I stood up and I took this big deep breath and all I saw was like, you know, the edge of my vision getting fuzzy and I almost passed out. And it was just, I was so excited that I forgot to breathe. So wow. anyway, don't forget wow. to breathe. Yeah, that's how exciting. It really is. Yeah. Always, always breathe. Yeah. Our breath is our biggest breathe. asset. Breathe through the hard times, breathe through the exciting times, breathe through writing those books. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> breathe through it all. Uh, and, and you, and you went on, you know, you did the galloping of the racehorses, but you've also done eventing and jumping. Mm -hmm. And I think there was some raining in there. So you, you, you've explored a lot of different disciplines in your, in your yeah. riding life. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, furry friends in your family. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, about the horses that are in your life right now? I do. Uh, Square Peg Foundation, we actually have two farms, one here in Half Moon Bay and then another one in Sonoma, California, which is about 90 minutes away. We have 14 horses here in Half Moon Bay and we have 10 in Sonoma. Um, we have two smelly, fabulous bloodhounds. Yeah, and I would, let's see, out of the 24 I think 18 are thoroughbreds and uh, one fabulous pony, a couple of good quarter horses. Oh, you know. fantastic. <laughs> Sounds like you're living the dream having that many horses. I really am. Yeah. 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 And yeah. You're, you're giving back too. I, you know, this is, I was really excited to have you on the show to talk about this. You are the founder of Square Peg Foundation, which you just mentioned there. And you work with uh, autism families with your herd of repurposed horses and most of them are former racehorses. Mm -hmm. And you've presented at conferences worldwide on the subject of thoroughbred aftercare, as well as therapeutic use of horses for people with autism. 
talk to us about Square Peg Foundation and the work that you do. I mean, this is just amazing. Thank you. Like you said, uh, we started in 2004 and we called it Square Peg Foundation because we wanted to wanted to bridge the gap between people who uh, wouldn't thrive in a therapeutic writing program and wouldn't thrive in a traditional writing program. And that's, we wanted to find those square pegs. Who are those people that, you know, wouldn't fit in either of them? And then we knew that if we had horses that also knew what it was like to not fit in, connecting those people to those horses' stories might be real transformation rather than just a pony ride or a riding lesson or um, another barn. And so when we first started, our first partner is we worked with Raphael House um, Family Homeless Shelter in San Francisco. And um, they taught us so much about how to think about the kind of nonprofit you want to be. We worked with domestic abuse survivors, um, but what just kept finding us was autism over and over again. And I thought, we better figure this out, you know, because my understanding of autism, you know, was like most people at that point, like I'd seen Rain Man twice. So that was about as far as it went. So we reached out for some mentorship and we connected with uh, uh, Rupert Isaacson and Ileana Lorenz, um, who at the time were in Elgin, Texas, just outside of Austin. And uh, Rupert and his son, they chronicled their family's journey um, through autism in the book, in the film, The Horse Boy. And Rupert was a, a journalist by trade when he started all of this and has authored about nine books and has been a really good mentor to me in writing as well. And his partner, Ileana, is a systems thinker. She's a German. She's a dressage writer. And she really took his ideas of what was, was happening with him listening to his son and his autism and really put a framework around it and how the horses would best serve those families. And um, boy, did they do a lovely job. And then they really branched out. They realized they could only serve so many people. When the film and, and the book came out, um, people got really curious, as they do, which is lovely. And they started wanting to come out to Texas to see the horse boy ride. And Rowan, the son, really made it clear that he didn't want to be a freak show, you know, that he didn't want to be in a fishbowl and that his privacy and his dignity were really important. So they really set out in trying to help programs like Square Peg at the time really understand autism, really understand how to be effective. And we just kept growing and growing and growing. And um, the need to go and go into therapeutic writing programs and help them understand this you know, wave of, of, of autism families that were wanting services meant that I started traveling and teaching, which I, which I enjoyed a whole lot more than I thought I would. And it's just taken me to some beautiful places here in the States and in, in Asia and in the Pacific Islands and, and, um, and Europe. And it's, it's been a beautiful ticket to ride. That's incredible. And what a partnership with, with the gentleman that, that wrote the book, Horse Boy, which is a fabulous book, and, and also the documentary. I recommend that I'll link to that in the show notes. But yeah, that really opened up a conversation about how animals can can be a healing, almost understanding aspect for people with autism. And, and, and so you, so you naturally sort of gravitated towards autism, because you found that the connection with the horses was working really well, because what I'm hearing is, you didn't have anyone specifically in your family that had autism. So you had to educate yourself 
mm-hmm. on the whole process. Mm-hmm. So you found the right partners. You looked at what kind of nonprofit you wanted to be. How was that journey for you? How you know you, you obviously worked with professionals, but I imagine there was a lot of education education that went on for you in order to make this foundation work the way you wanted it to. Is that right? It is. But you know, we got really lucky in. Um, in having mentors that were just really, really, really learned and kind and generous with their time. And, you know, we're in Half Moon Bay, so just on the edge of Silicon Valley and everybody loves a startup. And so we got we got some really great advice from uh, Anne Firth Murray started the Global Fund for Women. She is the mother of, you know, a, a good friend of ours who worked with my husband in tech. And she just jumped right in and said, you know, you're headed for some big mistakes unless you really pay attention to X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And it was just mentors like that. So I would say, you know, if, if, if your heart is pulled towards service and you're thinking about a nonprofit, seek mentorship. Mm-hmm. Training is great, but those mentors that you can call at, you know, 11 o'clock at night and say, my board's gone rogue and I don't know what to do and fundraising sucks and mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, you know, because all those things are true. To have those mentors that are going to not only help you through it, but really love you through it, mm-hmm. you know, and keep you focused on what's important. Yeah. And find your herd. It's like that with any find passion or any dream. Absolutely. You know, authors uniting and helping each other and, and spotlighting each other and supporting each other communities of for nonprofits or people wanting to make a difference, you know, that you can't do anything by yourself. It's all the people you surround yourself with. So that that's fantastic yeah. advice. Yeah. Now the aftercare for thoroughbreds component that you threaded into the Square Peg Foundation, talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that. I mean, clearly you have a big connection with thoroughbreds because of mm-hmm. your your mm-hmm. history and mm-hmm. the riding mm-hmm. you once did. So let's talk about that. It's super cool. And I can't wait for other breed associations to really follow the lead of what's happening in in the thoroughbred industry. Now, does the thoroughbred industry have a long way to go? Absolutely. But uh, if you would have told me, you know, in the economic downturn in 2008, that, you know, five years from then, our biggest source of support was going to come from the racing industry, I probably would have hurt myself laughing. And that's exactly what happened. And it was concerned breeders, concerned owners, concerned people in the business who realized that taking a responsibility for these horses when their careers were over um, was critical to keep the industry going. So not only was it the right thing to do, but it was the only thing to do to, 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 to help the sport redeem itself out of some, some, some rough times. So they put together, the Jockey Club put together Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. California led the way with a a fund they called the Karma Fund. And that was, that was legislation that actually took a small portion of people's purse money out and put it in an aftercare fund. And um, if you wanted to go into the paymaster's office and opt out of that, you could. But most people didn't know about it or wouldn't take the time to opt out of it. And so that fund started to build some money. Um, the people that started Karma got together with the Journey, uh, the Jockey Club, and they started the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance that really did this super stringent accreditation process. So in order to receive funds from those 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 funding sources, you had to prove that you actually knew how to take care of these animals, that you had you know, um, solid contracts that you, you had a bank account, uh, Michael Blowen of old friends. Um, and if you ever want to talk to a really good storyteller, you should talk to Michael Blowen at old friends. 
you know, he always says, I went through the TAA accreditation process and a, and a tax audit, and I'd rather do a tax audit. <laughs> so, so they're serious. Was, yeah, they are serious. And it's and it's and it's run by horsemen and businessmen. So mm-hmm. they're looking at your horsemanship. They're looking at your your business savvy. Mm-hmm. And once you pass through that process, um, you're eligible for funds. And it also definitely bumps you up uh, with other organizations that fund aftercare, you know, to be able to say that we're accredited. So, you know, it was just neat that the industry really thought it through because, you know, when they first started, they did what everybody did and they would give funds to people based on the number of horses that they adopted out. Mm. Um, and, uh, and some people did some ugly cooking of the books and they, and, and, and they got funding that they shouldn't have deserved. So rather than say, you know, forget this, the Aftercare Alliance got together and they put together a really smart plan. You know, we wouldn't exist if it weren't for, for the racing industry. You know, I like to say, say that loud because most people see racing in a pretty one-dimensional way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. And, and yeah, yeah and, and looking after these animals and giving them a second career and a second life and something else after their racing careers end is, is really a beautiful thing. And you're a part of that. And the racing industry is helping you do that, which yeah, is really yeah. incredible. Thank you for explaining all of that because I think I think listeners are going to be fascinated to hear that story. Now at Square Peg Foundation, how, how does someone get involved with you that wants to work with you and your services? Like, what services do you offer where where people can come in and work with the horses? Sure. You know, we've never advertised. It, it, it was always the the parent network, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty strong in autism, and we we have several different. I don't want to call them programs because that that starts to put people in boxes, right? Mm -hmm. But we do have a job training program that we're really, really proud of. And that grew out of the fact that, you know, we've been delivering services for 12, 13 years. And we saw saw people um, aging out of services. You know, autism is is a lifelong um, condition. And, um, you know, it's not just the quirky little you know, seven-year-old in the Thomas the Tank Engine pajama, you know, shirt. People get older and they their needs change and they they want independence. They want, you know, exactly what you and I want. We want we want jobs that are fulfilling. We want social circles. We want we want to know, you know, how we can take care of ourselves. So we uh, we said, well, you know, why don't you start where you're already comfortable, which is here at the ranch and you know, these horses. And, um, you know, we started just with a volunteer program and then we formalized it into a job training program. Mm -hmm. And, um, our next phase is to, to connect with two other therapeutic riding programs in the area so that our people can take the skills that they've learned at square peg and then take it to another farm, which will be very scary, but at least they'll bring those skills. And they're, the idea is that their world gets bigger and bigger and more robust. And, uh, and that's our goal. Oh, that's so, wonderful. yeah. So there's the job training program and, you know, when you have 25 horses, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Oh yeah. Um, you know, a lot of our families just come, uh, we just call them sessions. Sometimes we call them play dates for about 90 minutes at a time, usually once a week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes twice a month. And, uh, that's kind of an anything goes, you know, Mm -hmm. so part of what we do is, uh, is, is what we call follow the child, even though not all of our 
clients or children. So that's not entirely fair. It gets pretty wild and woolly. So the idea is to lean into somebody's intrinsic interests. And so um, just as an example, yesterday, uh, I was up in the office and I was looking down in the round pen and um, this little boy was, was on our pony and he's in the round pen and he's got like four teenage volunteers and he's decided he's a cowboy and they are cows and he's herding them and he's moving them all over with the pony. <laughs> and um, yeah, it gets, it's pretty wild. There's a, a lot of costuming around here. You know, it's the idea is that when we're, when we're laughing and we're having fun and we're moving and we're out in nature and we're connected to this, this kind horse that says, yes, that's when we're all our best selves, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, oh, that is so special. You know, and it, and it's, it, what I'm hearing is it's specialized to the needs of the individual and the Absolutely. horses there as support. And I just, I just think that's really incredible. It's a gift to humans and to horses that you're doing with Square Foundation. And you, you are, you're being recognized. You're actually the recipient of the Jefferson Award for Outstanding Community Service. Now, how did it make you feel to be recognized like that? And, and I mean, be supported by the racing industry. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the really cool thing about the Jefferson Award is that they awarded it to both my husband and I just at the beginning of the pandemic. So we weren't able to do some of the award ceremonies and such, but to be honored together, you know, because we, we started Square Peg together and, you know, he, um, he's the tech guy. And I always say that I'm like pre Henry Ford tech, you know, (laughs) 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 I'm old tech he's new tech but you know it's it's something that we both felt really strongly about and so to get this award for community service that that honored both of us together as a couple was super cool that's lovely making a difference with your spouse I mean that's just that's just even more grand and and to be recognized for that and you have been writing, we're going to get talking about your new book here in just a second, but you, you've also, your work has been featured in Ride Magazine, the San Francisco Chronicle, and more. So talk to us about some of the writing that you've done for publications. Is it on the topic that we just discussed, or is it kind of across barrier or about, across all sorts of genres? Like what? what kind yeah. Of, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've always been a writer. I, I always thought that um, my strongest work was, was essays, which we now call blogs. Thank God for blogs. You know, something that happened, I think it was, gosh, like way back 2006 or so, but it was, it was the Kentucky Derby where a filly ran. She ran second. She ran a beautiful race and she broke both ankles just past the finish line. A filly named Eight Bells, um, who was trained by a guy who was a really good horseman. And of course the public saw it was so awful. And, um, and of course, you know, my kids, our students saw it and they were, they were so affected. And then of course, you know, people say, oh, racing is horrible. And this guy must've done, you know, all these horrible things to this horse and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so I, I sat down and I wrote what I thought was just going to be a letter to our students so that I could help them process what happened. And uh, my husband said, you know, you need to, you need to, you need to project this. And so I sent it to the San Francisco Chronicle and I sent it to the sports desk. And because I'd worked in racing, you know, I knew a lot of the sports writers and the sports writers got a hold of it and they did two things. One, they gave it to the main editor of the Chronicle um, who put it in the next day's newspaper. 
Um, and then the, um, the, the, the sports department had all their money from their Kentucky Derby pool. And they, they took all of the money and they sent it as a, as a donation to square peg. Oh, wow. Um, and then in that, that article that came out, you know, two or three days after the Derby, you know, I got a phone call, uh, uh, you know, my phone just lit up um, and some of our most significant donors actually came out of that article in the Chronicle that was just written, you know, from a, a place of just trying to help my kids understand what really happened, the tragedy of it, but also to, you know, I think the, the, the title was let me disabuse you of this few notions about horse racing. And, you know, um, people saying, oh, that, you know, the track was in bad shape and, you know, helping people understand what what happens on a racetrack, you know, to maintain the surface and what happens before the horses head over. And then a few years later, I had a, a, a student who was the first person that I started what they call in horse boy method back riding. So you're riding with that person in your arms as opposed to a traditional therapeutic riding, you know situation where you would you would hold that person up and this woman was told by two different therapeutic riding programs that she was too disabled to ride she um she was very small um she did have a rod in her back a, a fall would kill her mm. but she was 18 and she spoke through a communicator and she really wanted to ride and i couldn't i couldn't steady her on the horse and so i just went you know i'm just going to i'm just going to hold her in my lap the same way you know, and, and that's the thing, Western riders, I mean, we all grew up with, you know, with little kids in the front of us in oh, yeah. the saddle. Doesn't work in an English saddle, no matter how big it is, but, you know, but it works on a bareback pad if you have the right horse. She and I rode that way together for, um, for nine years, and then she got pneumonia and she passed. Mm. And, um, and I was so deeply affected um, by her and her passing that I, I wrote a, a, an article for Ride Magazine um, called My Nine-Year Lesson in Bravery. Mm. And it won, I think, second place that year in the American Horse Publications article of the year. Wow. And um, again, it wasn't anything that was written, anything other than just from a really deep place in my heart and trying to honor the fact that you know, would you ride if you knew a fall would kill you? Mm -hmm. um, that's bravery. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's a brand of bravery that, that deserved talking about. Um, and she did it because she loved it, you know. And, um, and you have to know, um, if we didn't can her when she came out, I would, you know, she couldn't communicate except through a communicator um, that she, she controlled through her eyebrow at home. That was the only, um, that was the only muscle that she could reliably manage. And I would get a sternly worded email. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I think, you know, those two situations helped me understand that, you know, that those stories are powerful and they're important. And when you, when you speak from that really deep place, you know, writing is, it's not just so freeing, but, you know, I, I'd like to think that, you know, that, that it touched people and not only was informative and helped them understand, but, you know, helped us understand the, 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 the grace that these horses give us all the time. And I think that's something worth talking about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what I'm really hearing is you are a natural storyteller from the heart. And what a tribute to both 
the sport you love, the horse that passed, but then also this woman that you worked with and you embraced her bravery and, and you, you gave her experience voice and you understood what she wanted and you went through that with her. And I mean, just that's so special. So, so you were, you were writing from the heart, you were, you were telling a story and it moved people and, and these magazines and this newspaper published it. And the one in the San Francisco Chronicle helped your business grow yeah, further, yeah, which is, yeah. I mean, that, that's where, that's the power of writing. That's the power of good yeah. storytelling. You know, it's like you, and like you said, you don't advertise. It's like word of mouth. It's through a community. It's having the right mentors. It's writing about your experiences. Writing is very, very powerful. Let's talk about how you channeled writing from the heart into your book, A Damn Fine Hand, which, you know, tell, tell us about the inspiration of this book. I, I mean, where did, where did writing this book come from for you? It was a short story that got out of control. I was thinking again about the power of story and, you know, the ultimate or the first horse story, right, is Black Beauty. Mm. And what's so significant about Black Beauty is this, this horse had a voice. And before that, horses didn't have voices. You know, before Charles Dickens wrote, children didn't have voices, you know, so story changes things. I mean, that moved things. And, you know, Black Beauty was 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 the nidus that 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 started the humane society mm. it might be spca no it's humane society which you know was about cart horses i had this idea for giving this racehorse a voice and he was a horse named vaya con dios you know which is go with god and i thought well you know a horse can only be present right he can only be in the present moment and and what a beautiful exercise that would be. And so I was just kind of flexing muscles and this story of this horse came out. And then one of my dearest friends at the same time um, was in a head-on collision on the racetrack. Oh my. You know, and it was and it was awful. And just thinking about how she dealt with being injured and healing and how I was, you know, sitting at breakfast with my dad and my husband, and all of a sudden my phone lights up and three different people called me to tell me that she was hurt on the track. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about that network of women and how we all support each other. And so on this other side, I started, you know, writing the story, you know, they're aging athlete stories, but they're, they're never women's stories, right? You know, mm -hmm. and so I thought, well, we need to tell the aging athlete story from a women's standpoint. And both stories ran it, you know, smack dab into each other and just made a big mess in my brain for a whole bunch of years. And the more I wrote, well, I guess with anything, right, that's that personal, you know, there's little bits of me and all these different characters and these, all these people that I love. And it became a really, really, really personal mm. piece. And uh, my great uncle, who was a terrible jockey, passed away at the same time. And so, of course, he showed up in the story. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it's such a terrible pun, but it was a wild ride from the get-go. And uh, so it was a short story that that got out of hand. The short story kind of standalone on its own of Vaya Con Dios, I, I sent to the New Yorker and they held on to it for four and a half months. So it either got lost in a slush pile. And if you submit something to the New Yorker, you can't submit it anywhere else until mm. they they give you. Um, so um so they did write me a very nice note back and it was so nice. I cried, um, but they turned it down and I thought, okay, well, you know, if it was good enough for them to think about it pretty hard, maybe there's some, maybe there's a there there. Yeah. And it's still, 
it's, it sounds like it was still very alive for you, that short story that you then expanded into what is now a full length novel. This is fiction, yeah. right? You know, and, and, yes. and I think yes. what you said too, there is, there is little bits of us, it, all of us who write fiction, there is little bits of us that show up are little parts of our life that were experiences or people that inspired us and they wind up being mixes of all sorts of things. And even though it's fiction, there's little flickers because where else do you write from, right? You write from your own, sure. your own experiences and own, your own things that have touched your life or things that you read about and experience because you're interested in learning more. And you know what I love what you've done with this too is, is all proceeds from the book sales benefit the Square Peg Foundation. Tell us about about how readers can get their hands on this and and how it's available and uh, you know and what what message you're hoping to leave with people after they finish reading this book. Sure, I'm such a storyteller. <laughs> I love stories. Stories. <laughs> okay, that's, that's why we're okay, here. Good. That's why we're here. <laughs> okay. You know, I was. Um, did you read um, uh, uh, Dave Eggers' uh, heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius? I have not, but now I'm, my ears are pricked. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's such a polarizing book. You either love it or hate it. There's mm. no in between. You know, he started McSweeney's Publishing. I had given it to a really good friend of mine who is, you know, just a really, really voracious reader. And I love to hear what he thinks about things and discussing books is, is you know, it's just something that I love doing with him. And I gave it to him and I said, what do you think? And he said, well, I think he told the story he needed to tell. Hmm. And if you think about the title, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, <laughs> basically he's like, I own the publishing house and I'm going to tell my story. And he then went on from that story and wrote a bunch of other books um, that, uh, you know, are extremely well received. But I don't think that he could have done that until he told his story. Mm. And even though A Damn Fine Hand is fiction, there's so many people in there that I love. There's so much truth about racing and the way I feel about horses and, 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 and some you know people and things in my life. I felt like I'm just going to tell my story exactly. And I'm not going to start a publishing house, but I'm going to self-publish this book. And I'm going to sell it as a fundraiser per square peg. And I'm going to go completely around Amazon. And so you won't find it on Amazon. So we kind of just, we went rogue with it. And the story's rogue. And our marketing of the story is rogue. So you can buy it at adamfinehand.com. You can download it as an ebook. We are working on an audio book version, um, but that won't, that's going to be a big project. Mm -hmm. We published it through gumroad.com, whom we just, we just love the way they think about keeping money in, in, in the artist's hands. So that's really the story of, uh, and all the proceeds go to Square Peg Foundation. I figure that also gave me a license to, to really promote the book in, in, in a big way um, mm -hmm. because people know that this is going to a charity. This is going to care for real horses. This is going to care for, you know, real people needing services. So that was our wild rogue idea for um, marketing off the beaten path, um, publishing off the beaten path. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And you know, you're keeping the money in your pocket, particularly because you went digital to start audiobooks are getting huge too. That's a really smart move. Sure. And it's all going back to the organization, which is which is so beautiful. 
Speaking of reaching readers and the marketing, how, how are you getting the word out about this? Obviously, being on this show is part of that, but but how mm-hmm. else are you reaching out to readers to let them know that they can purchase this book to support making a difference in the lives of humans and horses through Square Pug Foundation? You know, social media has been really kind. Facebook marketing is pretty smart as long as you're, it's as smart as you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're thoughtful about these things um, and, uh, and luckily, um, Again, with my husband being the, the the digital guy, we've been we've been smart and thoughtful about how to spend money um, via social media to um, to just kind of get a little traction. Yeah, things like this, and and uh, um, and people have been really kind, and so they're starting now to write reviews. And you know, Goodreads is a really great spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm hearing that you you have built a community, you have a herd. I think word of mouth is going to be a big part of this project as well, and just spreading so. the word that this that yeah. this book is available and makes a difference. Your money makes a difference when you purchase. Not only do you get the escape and the enjoyment of a good read about horses and and people and humanity, but you're making a difference at the same time. I love that. Now, I like to ask these questions because the the answers are always a little different, and and I'm going to give you the the room to answer how you'd like. So I, because you have, you've started a, a big deal foundation that's making a difference, but you've also written a book. So for you, what's been the hardest part about being the founder of a charity like this or being an author? And then on the flip side, what's been the very best part? And you can answer it from either way or both if you'd like. <laughs> sure. I think the hardest part about running square peg is when, is when people desperately want you to take their horse as a donation mm-hmm. and you can't or if a family comes to you and you know we've got I think we have 25 or 30 families on a waiting list mm-hmm. and that that eats away at you you want to you always you never want to tell a family no you never um and then when someone offers you a horse you always wonder you know what happened to that horse um I've been doing it a while and we have you know a, a pretty good network. And so um, oftentimes I'm able to refer people and sometimes just try and gently inform them, look, this horse might live to be 35 years old. And um, he packed your daughter around the AOs for you know mm-hmm. six years and got her through high school. So maybe just, you know, we just plan to pay for him for a while, even mm-hmm. though it's hard. That's a hard one, um, you know, because you never... You never want to hurt somebody's feelings, but sometimes you have to deliver a little bit of truth. So that would be the hardest thing about running Square Peg. And I think for me as an author with this piece is I wrote in a vacuum. I wrote in a closet. I wrote so alone. And uh, the next project that I'm working on, I immediately started collaborating just, mm-hmm. and it's just such a different experience and, 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 and just completely different so and making the time to write is hard when you're mm-hmm. busy just giving yourself license you know you have an idea you have this scene you're just going to crank out the scene and then if it goes in a completely different direction to trust that um, you can always scrap it later and sometimes you know the most beautiful surprising fun things come out so um, I would say those would be the hard things the best things when I rewrote the ending of a damn fine hand and it had been sitting for a while and uh and I read it out loud to my husband and I looked up and he was just sobbing oh (laughs) look at me (laughs) I don't know why that was such a good feeling 
what it was, you know, just to think that you affected somebody deeply and that yeah. your words, that you actually, you, you made someone feel something. Yeah. Special. That was, that was pretty groovy. Yeah. 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 Very, very groovy. That's that was groovy. That's why we, I mean, that's why we write to move, touch yeah. and inspire. And it sounds like he was truly moved, touched and inspired. Yeah. yeah. And that he felt, you know, where, where you were going, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you hit the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really satisfying. Oh. Not that making your husband cry is a great idea, but oh. yeah, but it, it was a good, it was the good, it was, a good cry. it was like crying <laughs> at your, your writing <laughs> skill and that you followed the muse. And, and I love what you yeah. said about uh, trusting it. If it's taken you somewhere and just letting yourself go there could, because you can't always scrap it later, but you're, I do agree that sometimes when you just put yourself to the side and your head to the side and you just let it go, some of the most amazing, incredible things happen. Sometimes I'm like, where's this character taking me? I like, I'm not even yeah. here. I'm just following, yeah. this, just yeah. following this person. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, and then later I'll read it. And I'm like, Whoa, where did that come from? I, I'm not even there. Um, yeah. yeah. A special feeling. And then Definitely. the, be- and then the best part of running square peg, I imagine there's a million best parts, but there's a, yeah, you know, I'm at a point right now where, where I think maturity wise for me, and um, and also getting better and better at helping people understand how to do this work. We have we have some people on staff watching them just bloom, has been the coolest thing, mm. you know, the mm. coolest thing. And watching them do better work than I could, you know, just more creative and more joyful and good horsemanship, you know, and being told. Joel, I get to make my living playing with kids and horses every day. This is really a dream. And realizing that their excitement carries through to the families, their excitement carries through in the quality of care that the animals get. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, really, really satisfying. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. And it's like taking something and you're kind of handing it over and, yeah. and passing the torch and they're spreading it and it's just growing. And that, I mean, that's just beautiful. I'm like, Ooh, I moved. That's that's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and I think you are probably one of the best people to ask this question to like, what advice would you give someone who has a big dream, who, whether it's starting a charity or writing that book or, you know, getting on a horse for the first time or, or anything like, what would you say to someone with a big dream? I'll give you the advice that a really good friend of mine gave me he was our founding board treasurer uh and we were just getting started and I was trying to figure out what we were all about and he said Joel I'm gonna lock you in this room and I need you to he's like you're a writer so you need to write it he said I want you to write what square peg looks like smells like tastes like when you're successful and I want to know what colors you see. I want to know what bird songs you hear. I want to know what you have for dinner at the end of a long day. I need it to be this really sensory experience and just roll with it. And, and I may have said something like, and then we're going to do a trust fall or something. Um, <laughs> I was really grouchy at him. And he's like, nope, this is what you have to do. And that document that came out of that room helped us make decisions in really, you know, in times where 
you know, we could go after this one grant and serve this whole other population, or do we stay small and make sure that we stay true to our mission? It helped me stay true to what the end game was all about, right? And so I think, you know, with, with writing a book, Dave Eggers, when he, he had to tell his story, it's the story of, you know, both of his parents dying from cancer when he was, a, 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 I think, in his early 20s, like within six months of each other. And then he and his sister had to raise his little brother. That's a story he needed to tell. And until he told that, he couldn't start telling all these other stories. So I think giving yourself license to, even if it's just a journal, but, you know, tell your story, mm. tell your story and, um, and tell it true. And then if you need to, you know, hang a bunch of fiction on it at some point, um, then, then you can do that. But yeah, tell it. Oh, yeah. that is yeah. fantastic <laughs> advice. I love that. I mean, I, I like what you said about you know, you had this vision and you, and he asked you to go sit in that room and just write down like how it feels, what it looks. I mean, because, you know, in a really strange way, and maybe this is woo woo, but like, I feel like how it's supposed to be is in us. And and when we Mm -hmm. get it out there and we put it down and we, we just let it come out, then you've got like a guiding post, right? You've got your North star and it helps you stay focused. And what I love what you said too, about you know, do we go over here and do this and serve all these other people or do we stay focused on what the true mission is? And then I think that's where authors or business owners or people starting any sort of project can get, can get, can get out of line because they're trying to follow too many mm-hmm. dangling carrots and they're not staying in their one lane and just, you know, focusing. And I, I love that exercise. And what does it look like? What does it mean to me? What does it feel like? How, you know, what does it look like when it's successful? Because that will keep you on track. That is the best advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank Jim for it. It was, you know, it was all him and he, and I wasn't kind to him when he made me do it. I may have kicked and screamed a little bit. So, but but, you listened to your mentor, you listened in the end, you listened to your mentor and, you know, we all need, we all need those kind of people to give us a kick in the pants every now and then. So, so it gets us on the right track. You know, that's what coaches are for. That's what, you know, parents can be for. That's what good friends are. That's where, where mentors come in and people in our community are heard other authors you know, so listen, you took that advice, even though you kind of kicked and screamed a little, you took the advice, you used it and it, and you're better for it. So that's good. Yeah. I love that. Is there anything that listeners might be surprised to learn about you? I mean, I think this whole interview has been pretty spectacular and surprising and in anything, but can you make like the world's best waffle or, you know, do you have any special Mm -hmm. skills? (laughs) Here's a wild one. You know, my background, racing and polo and fox hunting and all the things I went through a phase starting about a year ago. I had this, uh, I've had this tradition of doing things that scare me. I tried to do them every year because I thought it's really important for me to remember what it's like so that if that, if that person is on a horse and they're terrified, I need to know what that feels like, Mm. right? I need to know what it feels like to feel totally awkward and, you know, and out of my depth and, and, uh, and, and everybody's watching me. I needed to remember what that felt like. And, you know, if you grow up riding and you've been riding racehorses and swinging a polo mallet and, um, you know, you don't, you don't know that I was doing kind of some, some, some personal work and all of a sudden got extremely anxious on a horse wow yeah 
And I think in the process of writing a damn fine hand, there's a there's a character who does ride scared all the time. And 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 she's autistic and she's she's terrified of other people. She's actually pretty good on the horses, but of mm-hmm. course she feels watched. You know, but I was always seen as brave and bold and courageous and fearless. And to feel tremendous fear on horses that I knew and to just have to sit with that mm. was it was surprising for me. <laughs> so, and then I realized that um, through the personal development work I was doing, I was actually just learning to feel. And wow. maybe, yeah, maybe there was anxiety all the time. I don't know, but it was it was such a new feeling. And to just sit with that was was very surprising. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. But you know, and also in a in a really bizarre way it's almost like that was a little gift because you really got to connect with what it what it would feel like for someone that you're working with to have that experience didn't feel like a gift yeah no I never right right. never never at the time does does those moments feel like a gift but but in the end you know like I see you can can look at that and be like I can really and good on you for for taking on experiences that challenge you or, or frighten you so you can have more empathy for your for the people you're working with and put yourself yeah. in that position because I think sometimes we forget when you're reminding yourself right you know like everybody has a different perspective yeah. of the way things are that's really cool Well, and we've all had that trainer that's just like just sit up and do it mm-hmm. you know and you're like no my horse is really da, 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 da. just put your hands down and put your heels down and do it mm-hmm. and you know and I've been that instructor you know, there was a time, uh, you know, and, um, and to be able to realize that, you know, that's completely not available and understand that when someone's anxious, nothing is reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing's reasonable. You're just there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and to have to sit with that and to have to look at that, that was, that was, that was surprising to me. So, Wow. And I imagine, the holding your breath like you did with the racehorse that whole first time and then you realize that you had to breathe. I imagine getting through that moment of anxiety for the first time on the back of a horse that you trust, you had to do a lot of breathing to kind of yeah. just sit with it and be with it. So yeah. another yeah. great piece of advice from Joel throughout this whole thing is breathe through the moments of life, you know, <laughs> because there's always yeah. something. Um, always something. Yeah. And wow, this, this has been so amazing. Like, you, you've already done so much. You've written a book, you've written for articles, you've made impact through your storytelling in your community. You've, you've started this foundation. What's next? Where are you heading? What are you thinking? I mean, clearly we're still, you're still getting the word out about a damn fine hand, but where are you heading next? What do you think you're, you're going to do? You know, through a lot of this personal work that I was doing, you know, um, a damn fine hand had been sitting around for a long time. And as hard as I tried to finish it, I, I was really struggling. And then in working with this with this coach, I realized that my biggest fear was that once I finished it, I would never have another book in me. That mm. I really thought that. I didn't want to not have it in my life. I didn't want to not have this project that I was working on. This sounds so trite, but I was standing in the kitchen. I was really frustrated about something going on in the autism field. I'm working on a master's degree in, in autism support, interdisciplinary mm. autism support. And I was working on a project and, and I, was, I was really frustrated. And I was 
pouring myself a cup of coffee and all of a sudden this idea starts and it germinates and it gets traction and I jotted down some notes and I took a long walk and I realized what just happened is a is the outline of a screenplay but what I told myself was you're not allowed to take this one word farther until you finish a damn fine hand <laughs> and for some reason that was that was the catalyst that said you know where you want to go you just do this and so I did and as I was doing it in the back of my brain is germinating this idea but I also decided that I one I know nothing about screenplay writing it's not my it's not my jam you know but what happened was so visual and uh and so I reached out to a friend and I gave him the elevator pitch and he's an autism dad and he's like I'm in I'm totally in Joel Oh, wow. So now I have this, this accountability partner, which is also helping me finish up this other project. And it has been the coolest, most refreshing thing um, to work together. The thing about a screenplay is that it's so structured. Mm-hmm. You know, you have three acts and you have your two plot points and you know exactly where they need to be. And you have, you know, you have what, 180 pages to do it. Mm-hmm. The end. And how fun to go from this complete, you know, 12 years of writing in a closet and rewriting everything and throwing things away and throwing things out the door to having this structure and this accountability partner. Mm -hmm. So that's what's next. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Like how I like what you said there and how you shared that you were afraid after you finished the book that there, there wouldn't be another book or there wouldn't be another project or that your creativity might stall. I think we all fear that sometimes. And uh, I got some great advice from someone that was a guest on the show. I think it was someone that was a guest on the show, but they said, it's okay to pause after a project because and give the muse a chance to recharge and rest because it'll, it'll always come back. If you're a creative, you're creative. And, you know, I was always thinking, I have to keep going. I have to, I have to have something, you know, and, and I, after this last book I wrote, I gave my second, myself a second to breathe and pause and the ideas just started coming again. And now I know I'm, I'm there, you know, but I thought for a minute, there's nothing, where's my, where's my creativity? Yeah. Yeah. But it, like you were saying, you're having a cup of coffee in your kitchen and then you went for a walk and then you jotted some stuff down and now you're writing a screenplay. I mean, that there you are. That's fantastic. And so with the screenplay, how did you figure out how to, how to write a screenplay your, does your accountability partner have experience with that? Because you said it's not he your does. jam. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He does. Uh, we followed a, a, a kind of a workbook style. You know, we had our first meeting. He wasn't totally sold on it. And then we just drank some coffee and giggled about some things. And all of a sudden, he just writes the opening scene. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better than anything I would have come up with. Anyway, just really exciting you know, because we have the structure and now we just keep building scenes and, and it's fun. It's really fun. It's a completely different experience than, than the novel. And it just feels like, you know, just flexing a whole bunch of different muscles. In the script, are there any horses involved? There really isn't, which is so unlike me. We haven't ruled it out, but definitely groups of animals play into it's a a young man who doesn't speak the moments where he's most transformed is 
um, watching murmurations of birds and watching, you know, watching dolphins swimming together and watching, mm. watching, you know, groups of animals move together. So, you know, there's, there's an obvious inroad to using horses, mm -hmm. but I wanted to make sure that, um, that it wasn't the only thing and, uh, and just, just see where that took me. That's perfect. Uh, and, 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 and spoken wonderfully because because we write horse books or we're so focused on horses, we don't only have to do that, you know, and I love that, yeah. you know, I love that this project is taking you in a little bit of a different direction, but the animal connection is always kind of there for yeah. us because that's in our blood, but, but we, you, you can explore like whatever mm -hmm. the muse is saying, like I always say, follow the muse, follow the muse, you know, because you're, you're way better off following that because that's the true inspiration than like trying to force something. So I think that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Joelle, I just am so impressed by you. I've, you have offered so much wonderful advice today. I'm so oh. glad we've gotten to meet each other. I look forward to continuing our relationship. And can you let listeners know where they can find you and your book sure. and sure. your foundation online? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can find the story and read a couple of sample chapters at adamfinehand.com. You won't find us on Facebook because Facebook decided that damn is a bad word and it... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> and it violates their user agreements, which I actually kind of makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of makes me, it's kind of charming in a way. And I even thought, you know, because we had a page and we had followers and then they took it down. Oh, um, so you won't find us on Facebook. You won't find us on Amazon, but you will find a damn and squarepegfoundation.org. Mm -hmm. um, is how to reach Square Peg Foundation. And we also have a Facebook community with Square Peg Foundation. There is a Square Peg Foundation in the UK that um, is an autism group that makes clothing. So mm -hmm. if if you see clothing, it's not us. Go find the horses. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I'll be sure to link to all those places in your show notes so people can oh, get directly you. to you and support the great work you're doing and pick up a copy of your book with the naughty word in the title. My goodness, I can't believe Facebook so shut you down. <laughs> There is a lot of naughty words in it, um, and uh, and I wouldn't say that it's appropriate for for younger audiences. Okay, yeah. good good yeah. to know. Good to put that. So this is an yeah. adult equestrian fiction book, which we need more of anyway. We which need is more of which anyway. is great. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, thank you for your contribution to the equestrian community. What you're doing with the autistic community. What you're you know doing for off the track thoroughbreds after they've finished their careers just thank you for all the goodness that you're bringing into the world I, I very much appreciate you oh thanks Carly and I really appreciate this opportunity this is uh this is really exciting and fun and you've been so kind and easy and thank you my pleasure thanks for joining us this week on the equestrian author spotlight podcast I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing just like me Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author, who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. 
creative writing makes my spurs jingle.